This is The Sweeper, the global football podcast with the best worldwide news and stories from the beautiful game, with Lee Wingate and Paul Watson. On this episode of The Sweeper, we chat about San Marino's sudden goalkeeper exodus, the new FIFA series in the March international window, and the football manager obsessive appointed as a coach in Iceland. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sweeper podcast with myself, Lee Wingate, and my fellow host, Paul Watson. We have the usual wide array of stories in store for you today. But before we start, a bit of news from us. You may have noticed that this episode is shorter than what we would usually release. Paul, the Patreon community already knows about this, but let's tell the rest of our listeners why that is. So we've decided to move to a weekly pod for everybody. And the reason that we want to do that is because we want the pod to continue to to grow and we want everyone to have regular sweeper content. There'll still be bonus content for our loyal Patreon followers, but it's just a way for us to maybe get the sweeper out to more people, which will allow us to keep growing and developing the pod. Yeah, exactly. I think just to explain the restructure a little bit, our pods traditionally have three segments What we're going to look to do now is make two segments for the regular weekly pods that will go out to everybody and then have a third segment, which is just a bonus segment for the patrons that they can listen to directly after. So almost hop over from the main pod to the bonus segment afterwards. So that means that there will be another episode out on Wednesday, the 28th of February for everyone. So you can look forward to that next week. But before we move on to the football, we will just mention The show is entirely funded by patrons at the moment. We're working really hard to make the Patreon a really fun and worthwhile space. So if you're enjoying what you're hearing and you're able to, please do contribute at patreon.com forward slash sweeperpod. On to the football then, and we're going to start our first ever weekly pod in familiar territory, San Marino. In December, there was a surprising announcement that coach Fabrizio Constantini's contract would not be renewed despite some visibly improved performances. And now San Marino have been dealt another personnel setback, haven't they? They've been dealt two personnel setbacks in the space of two days. So I think it's fair to say that being San Marino's goalkeeper might be the hardest job in world football. You certainly need a a sense of humour for it and to be able to, to bend down and pick the ball out of the net a fair few times. But it's really interesting that they've they've lost two goalkeepers now in two days they both chose to hang up their gloves at exactly the same time so Aldo Simoncini probably quite familiar to people he got to the age of 37 he made 65 appearances a real stalwart you know he's been through some pretty grim (laughs) times but also some great ones he he managed a heroic clean sheet against Estonia in 2014 that's kind of his his crowning moment single-handedly at points, keeping them in the game to to secure uh, a European Championship point. He decided to call time on, on his San Marino career at 37, which is not too surprising. What was odd is that the next day, his, effectively his deputy, although they, they both played a similar amount of games, Elia Benedettini also decided to retire, but he's only 28. And he gave a slightly vague statement about wanting to 
explore other things and have a change. But so that was a slightly odd moment there to lose two San Marino goalkeepers in the space of uh, pretty much 48 hours. Yeah, this is a huge coincidence, isn't it? And I suppose the the natural question to ask would be, is there a reason for this? And and is it simply just down to the fact that these guys are picking the ball out of the net a lot of times and it's a bit demoralising? Or does it perhaps have something to do, do you think, with this strange decision to to get rid of Fabrizio Constantini? There are two theories. So one of them is that the, the loss of Constantini has annoyed the players. They seem to certainly be on a good track. I mean, we were doing an emergency podcast repeatedly, almost had to do two emergency podcasts nearly because San Marino were doing so well and they were suddenly scoring against Denmark. They only lost 2-1 to Denmark. You know, that they were a very different side at the end of Constantini's reign to the side they've been for years. And so the decision not to renew that contract seemed baffling from the outside. It seemed the players were happy, they were settled. So there is a theory that that's what's caused it. There's also a theory that Simoncini and Benedettini effectively alternated the strike to some extent. So they both have racked up 50, pretty much 50 caps, you know, 65 caps and 48 caps. And so they've managed to sort of alternate who's taking the brunt. So there's possibly a a more cohesive theory that suddenly Benedettini's thinking, I've got to be playing in all the games. I've got to be doing 100% of of this and just thought, "I, I can't keep doing this. But it is odd. And, and, you know, we don't know what goes on in people's private lives. Maybe there's something else he's doing. It's also important to note these players are not professional. So it could be there's something in his professional life, his other professional life, that's that's meaning he just can't commit anymore or his family life that means he can't commit anymore. But what a, a blow for San Marino to lose two goalkeepers when you have such a small player pool. And coming up to this absolutely crucial game in March where we thought... You know, this is a great chance to win this this first game in 20 years. We're going to come back and talk about your trip to San Marino in just a second. But you mentioned there perhaps it's all just too much for him. It could be that he is dumping this job on the doorstep of a family member because Pat's football blog tweeted in response to this announcement, the retirement of Simoncini and Benedettini leaves the door open for Elia's cousin Simone to make the number one shirt his own. That's really interesting. Um, it could be, you know, it's su- as I say, it's such a small world, uh, San Marinese football, that that is, that is a very possible solution. Um, it also brings us on to the, the family links, bring us on to the slightly unfortunate but amazing record that I don't think is his legacy by any means. But Aldo Simoncini has left a record in world football that I suspect will never be broken. And I, I imagine you know what this is, Lee. Yeah, you put this tweet out, didn't you? Either last week or the week before, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell it. It's absolutely sensational. So he and his brother Davide Simoncini became the first twins to both score own goals in the same international game. So they lost 6-0 to Sweden in September 2010. And yeah, both Aldo and Davide Simoncini managed to score own goals. And I, I'm not sure that record will ever be broken. (laughs) It's such a rare niche record. And as I say, he's also been an amazing servant to San Marinese football. He's pulled off some incredible performances when you watch, sometimes being left exposed to make 30 plus saves in games. So it's not at all fair for that to be what he's remembered for, but it's certainly a record I I don't think he'll ever see broken. No, I mean, we love a niche football fact like that, don't we? So I very much enjoyed that. 
you are going to be heading to Cerro Valley in March to see this doubleheader or the first game of the doubleheader with St. Kitts and Nevis. So very much praying for a win in the first game in that one. Do you think that there'll be a chance of us doing another emergency podcast? I still am pretty confident San Marino will deliver. That said, I I would say there are two likely scenarios and one is a nil-nil draw and one is a very narrow San Marino win. And um, I travelled over for the Seychelles game and that was, I guess, uh, September, not last year, but the year before. And that was, again, with a vision to seeing San Marino finally break this, this hoodoo and get the win. And that, I must say, was one of the most frustrating 90 minutes of football I've ever watched because they were, for large parts, better than Seychelles, but just couldn't couldn't get the ball in the net. So if I go out to Cerevalle and see another 90 minutes of that, I'm going to start to worry about when you and I have to inevitably go over for the, the Nations League to try and break this record again later in the year. Let's move on to the Nations League now then, because the draw for the 2024 to 25 edition has now taken place. San Marino have been drawn in a League D group with either Lithuania or Gibraltar, who are without a win in 10 games and recently lost 14-0 to France, and Liechtenstein, who are on a 35-game winless run themselves. So this is the, the draw we wanted to see, isn't it? Yes, and this was very much the one that we were looking forward to before we knew about the St. Kitts and Nevis friendly. So we were speculating, will this be the year for San Marino to get a win? This was the opportunity we were thinking, could they take? And what's really interesting is it could be either of those games. I would struggle at the moment to say whether Gibraltar or Liechtenstein would be the the better opportunity for them. Because as you alluded to, Gibraltar are in absolute chaos. They're in, they're in free fall, really. I have almost no doubt that Lithuania will beat Gibraltar to, to make that Gibraltar in that group. And so the question, I think, for us, being determined to attend this, this first San Marino victory, say they are unable to beat St. Kitts and Nevis in both games, which I think is, is possible, would we attend San Marino's tie against Gibraltar or Liechtenstein, or do we basically just have to keep going <laughs> until we're freed of our obligations? Well, Liechtenstein's pretty easy for me to get to because I just have to take the, the the train across Austria. So that's not too difficult. Gibraltar is a little bit trickier to get, get down to. You have to go to Malaga and then get a, a bus down to La Linea de la Concepcion, which is the border town, and then cross it. Or I suppose fly directly from London, but I think that's quite expensive. So I really hope that they do it soon. They'll certainly save us some money. Yeah, I think we have to have an agreement in place that the sweeper will be present in one way or another, at San Marino Liechtenstein and then at Gibraltar San Marino. And we will just keep going until this happens. You know, if this is what it takes, because I think I think the first one will be San Marino at home. So what I really want to avoid, if I'm totally honest with you, is another trip to San Marino in September. As lovely as it is, I'm starting to think if I have to attend a third match in Cerevala in order to try and get this win. For a start, I'm going to start to struggle to justify that to loved ones and the bank that keeps extending my overdraft uh, and various people. <laughs> so I'd quite like this to be nipped in the bud, if possible, before we spend most of the, the autumn attending various San Marino obligations. You texted me last week to say, do you reckon anyone at FIFA has been listening to the sweeper? Why was that? Because FIFA has launched the FIFA series, which is a series of tournaments that they had alluded to before, where 
a fairly random assortment of nations at various levels of the FIFA uh, rankings are coming together to play four team tournaments all around the world. And these are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> they are everything that the sweeper loves. They're random assortments. They are teams you never thought would come face to face. And it just, yeah, it honestly looked like something you, you and you and I might have cooked up on a on a podcast. I don't know which your favourite is, Lee. I mean, we, we should run everyone through all of these. But what, what for you stands out as the weirdest tournament out of this this list? Well, they are four country groups, aren't they? And perhaps let's run through them first before we pick out the standouts. So in Saudi Arabia, you have Brunei, Vanuatu, Curaçao and Guinea. In Algeria, you have South Africa, Andorra, Bolivia and Algeria. In Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka, Central African Republic, Papua New Guinea and Bhutan. In Azerbaijan, you have Azerbaijan, Mongolia, Tanzania and Bulgaria. And there have been reports of a fifth group also in Saudi Arabia involving Cape Verde, Guyana, Cambodia and Equatorial Guinea. That is quite a mix of of countries from all over the world. In terms of a favourite, I mean, I quite like the sound of that that last one, that rumoured one, Cape Verde and uh, Equatorial Guinea, who, of course, have both just had really good AFCON tournaments. Guyana, who apparently travels so rarely that following on from the announcement of this group, they've put an advertisement up for like a travel operator to help them. So, (laughs) I mean, that tells you how rarely they they go abroad, doesn't it? And Cambodia as well. So that's that's just a great group for me, I think. It's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, there are just ties you never thought you'd see, really, aren't there? Like Central African Republic versus Bhutan is not a, not a fixture I ever imagined I'd witness. And nor really, probably, was, was Mongolia versus Bulgaria. But it's, it's, there's a lovely randomness to it. I mean, Andorra, Andorra, South Africa. When I first saw the, the groups announced, I could just see the flags. And I'm, a, I'm an absolute flag nerd. It was like my childhood. I had a little flag book. Uh, when I was like I don't know, six through to probably far too old for it. And I used to run through and test myself on all the flags of the world. Obviously, a lot of the countries have changed now or there are new countries. So I'm pretty useless on flags now with, with a lot of nations. But I was looking at the flags for these groups and thinking, I must have lost my touch because that looks like South <laughs> Africa and Andorra. <laughs> Andorra, <laughs> Bolivia. No, I've, I obviously I've totally lost my abilities. <laughs> I know from doing enough tweeting about different countries in world football that the Andorra and the Moldova flags look quite similar as an emoji. So initially I thought that it was it was Moldova and then I saw that it was Andorra. As somebody who has previously complained about the fact that tournaments now don't have enough symmetry, and by that I'm alluding to the fact that you'll get third place teams going through, for example, in the Euros or AFCON, um, I am not very happy with the lack of symmetry in this tournament because they might be 14 groups, but each country is only playing two games. So that means, for example, that in one group, the Central African Republic will face Bhutan and Papua New Guinea, but not Sri Lanka. That seems like a tremendous waste, doesn't it? I mean, if you're going to bother to get all these nations, like why would you go to the effort of bringing these three teams all the way to Sri Lanka and not just make sure everyone plays each other? That's bizarre. What is the format then? Is it a knockout effectively? Or I, I, I hadn't even looked at what the what happens with these four teams. As far as I can tell, it's literally each team goes there and plays two friendlies, but they don't all play each other. I can't understand the logic in that. Maybe it's a time issue. Maybe they can't set aside enough days to allow for rest days or something like that. 
This will be the first edition. This is, uh, as we say, a new FIFA initiative that will take place in the March international window in even-numbered years. So this being 2024, the next one being in 2026. So we're certainly eager to see how that pans out. And a big thank you also to the guys at the International Window Pod. You can follow them on Twitter. They were the ones that made this announcement more than anyone else and, and helped us with information for this segment. So a big thanks to them. Time for us to take a quick break. We'll be back after the music to discuss two clubs in decline and some contrasting strategies to rectify their situations. Welcome back to the second segment of this Sweeper episode. On our last pod, we were joined in voice note form by German YouTuber Fiago to talk about the decline of Schalke. And today we have a couple more clubs in freefall to focus on, starting with one in Iceland. Paul, tell us what's going on at KV. <laughs> so you've, you've called them KV, which is a very smart move. I'm going to have a go at it, uh, and I would love to be told how to properly pronounce this. So they seem to be called Natspinoflag Vesterbeyer. <laughs> but I think I could have got that wrong in every single regard. Uh, <laughs> they are a club from Reykjavik and they have taken a very odd initiative to try and break a series of relegations. So they have back-to-back relegations and they've turned to a new manager with a bit of a difference. The new manager is a self-confessed sort of football manager addict. His claim that amazingly won him this job at the age of 27, he claims to have spent 8% of his life playing football manager. <laughs> and they've given him the job. <laughs> it's absolutely staggering, isn't it? So 13,700 hours in total, which is 571 days and closer to two years than it is one. It's absolutely mental. I did see on a Sport Bible article about this that he has most recently lifted a Premier League title on the game with Leicester City, which obviously is a total fantasy that would never happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, yeah, that, that, that shows how unrealistic that game is. Um, I, it's, it's an incredible move, but what I find quite interesting is that there has been a general trend in football, I think, towards managers who haven't had a playing career. And this is a much more dramatic version of that, but I think... This idea that coaches had to be great players has certainly been exploded. And, you know, over the years, that, that's, that's become quite a common fallacy that, you know, you have to be a great player to be a great coach. But I think this is a, a step towards the kind of online manager that, that I've never seen before. And I'll be, I'll be really interested to see how, how it works out, because there are obviously a lot of skills on football manager that do relate directly to the job of managing a football club. But there are so many personal skills are so much actually dealing with human beings that you clearly don't do on the game plus there's the fact that you go into a dressing room full of players who will be aware that this is just a guy who's been playing on a computer game so whether it's harder then to win actual players over to believe in you I'm not sure there's that whole theory, isn't there, that if you do anything for 10,000 hours, that you become an expert on it. And I think that, like you say, probably the difference between uh, playing football manager online and then being an actual coach in real life might not translate. But what about you? What would be your 10,000 hours thing? Is there something you've spent 10,000 hours on to reach expert status? <laughs> you know, the only thing I think I ever came close to was, in fact, a computer game. I think Sensible World of Soccer 
when we were kids, me and my brother, Mark, had sensible world soccer. And you know, in the old days, football games were, were terrible. They'd have about eight teams on it and they would be completely unrealistic. And you could play them for about a weekend before you realised you just had to dribble through on goal and the goalkeeper would like fall over or something. There was always, they were crap. And then sensible world of soccer came out. And not only was it, you know, pretty realistic in the way the players moved and everything, it was the fact it had every team that you can imagine at that at that stage. It had suddenly we'd gone from eight teams to sort of about 8,000 teams and they all had what seemed to be the real names and the real characteristics. So we we became absolutely addicted to this and we had organised things on things that look an awful lot like these FIFA series. We would organise tournaments where we played against each other and we'd sort of toss a coin for who got which team. And we would just basically do that for week after week of our, of our childhoods while our parents just occasionally popped their heads down to make sure we were still alive so we actually got to the point where we entered tournaments mark was the champion of bristol my brother was the champion of bristol and then i was the next year and he even went to the national championships i think and got third place or something like that he was obviously he's four years older than me so he was always a little bit better than me but yeah in another world at another time Maybe we could have been paid like these uh, these gamers now. We could have been earning hundreds of thousands of pounds. Instead, the most I ever earned was £40 for winning the Bristol Cup. <laughs> £40 uh, at a, a very smelly pub opposite Ashton Gate. And we had to kind of get out of there because we'd beaten a load of uh, like proper grown men who were not particularly happy about it. <laughs> I didn't expect that answer when I asked that question, but I very much enjoyed hearing it. I think for me, it would probably be, I've probably now have spent close to, I don't know if it's 10,000, but thousands of hours like researching stuff either for the pod or for, for tweets because I was doing the Twitter for a, you know a few years when the sweeper first started. So I think I might have approached it for that. And I've probably got several thousand hours when it comes to language learning now because that was my degree. That was what I was going to say is like, my 10,000 hours were spent on something that is so useless. It's even it's not even a game you can play. Whereas yours are thinking, well, languages. You've actually learned to communicate with millions of people around the world better. What I did, the only trappings of it now are that we still have the Bristol trophy that I found in a cupboard at my parents' house. And I thought, wow, look at that. What's that? What's that? It's the Bristol Sensible World of Soccer Championship. And if anyone in Bristol wants to take me on, by all means, but until I get beaten by someone in Bristol, I regard myself as the champion. <laughs> this obviously, this this whole topic with the Icelandic football manager nut made me think of other managers that have sort of unusual backgrounds or who've not been players themselves. I put this out to the patrons on Discord. A great response from Transponster who says, wasn't there a sports journalist for Football Italia that became an international manager somewhere in the Pacific? I believe he also worked running a corner shop. <laughs> Most notably. Uh, no, that, that sounds completely unrealistic. <laughs> uh, for anyone who hasn't heard that bonus pod, this was the stunning revelation from Paul last time that in addition to being the world's youngest international manager and running a club in Mongolia, he also once had a normal job in a corner shop, which he used to close down to watch Czech Republic's games at Euro 2004. I just thought that I'd put that out there for all the other <laughs> listeners. Other managers with unusual backgrounds, Jose Mourinho from translator to one of the best coaches this century. Maurizio Sarri was a banker for many decades or many years and then sort of worked his way up the Italian football pyramid before winning Serie A. But I think my favourite one is probably Arrigo Sacchi because he was a shoe salesman who became a football coach and then used to have 
loads of people saying to him, oh, you've never played, you've never played. And he came up with the amazing quote, I never realized that in order to become a jockey, you have to have been a horse first. <laughs> it's a great quote, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's a brilliant quote. <laughs> Another club in a downward spiral at the moment, but with a very different potential fix, is Japanese third division club Omiya Ardea, who were relegated to the J3 for the first time ever last year. According to reports in Japan, Red Bull are interested in expanding their football empire by buying the club. We've talked a little bit, haven't we, on the pod before about the whole Red Bull story, what happened with Red Bull Salzburg. What are your first thoughts at hearing about the potential Red Bull expansion? It's never a particularly bright news in my eyes when Red Bull expand their slate of clubs. And the same goes with the you know, Manchester City's uh, group whenever there's a new club that get bought up, especially when you hear the fans aren't happy about it. So I guess that, that would be one of my questions is, I guess it depends to some extent, what do the fans of, of the club feel about this takeover? Because, you know, it's easy from the outside to say it sounds a bit bleak to be bought into this kind of pretty soulless empire. But if the club is dying or if it's really on its knees, then maybe for them it's better than nothing, I suppose. Obviously, being based in Austria and having followed the whole Red Bull story in Salzburg pretty closely, I do think that I have probably a slightly different take on it to most people. I think a lot of football traditionalists and romantics are very much against it. But I definitely see some positives along with the negatives. So they do play really exciting, high-pressing, counter-attacking football. It is good to watch. They do have an amazing scouting network and a youth development system, which doesn't involve large transfer fees, which I think we can all appreciate. But then obviously by the same token, they have in some cases not respected tradition and destroyed history, especially in the case of Red Bull Salzburg's takeover of Austria Salzburg. And also one of the things that I'm not sure many people are aware of is the fact that there are so many transfers between the clubs in the Red Bull model. So I think now there's been something like 20 transfers from Salzburg to Leipzig. Leipzig being in the German Bundesliga is the biggest priority now. And they come at very reasonable prices, which I have to say does make me a little bit sort of sceptical about how that distorts competition. Yeah, I mean, it seems baffling to me that that's, that's legal because you are transferring effectively between departments of one entity, but you're then putting prices on it that you can dictate centrally to your advantage. It feels really odd that this is allowed. And I wonder if it's because as yet, multi-club ownership hasn't got to a point where they've had to really like regulate this or whether it's just not possible to regulate this. I, I don't know. I think they'll have to once the various empires start to get bigger, because right now you've got 13 different partner clubs in the City Football Group, which is the one that Man City and Girona are in. Red Bull have four or five. And actually, it has got to the stage a couple of years ago where Salzburg did play Leipzig in the UEFA Europa League in the group stages. And they actually, Salzburg won both games, I think, which considering sort of the hierarchy of the Red Bull clubs there was quite surprising to me. That is very surprising. I do remember recently there was an online myth that circulated that if Girona reached the Champions League, they wouldn't be able to enter it on account of their links to the Man City group. Now, that was very quickly crushed. And as you say, what you've just outlined there is a very good example of why obviously that wouldn't be the case. They, they, they clearly can. 
But I do wonder at what point clubs meeting in Europe is a problem. Yeah, certainly going to be plenty of food for thought for UEFA in the coming years anyway, and and indeed FIFA as these groups get bigger. We've obviously looked at two clubs in freefall taking very different approaches. If you're a club owner that's had a couple of relegations, are you employing a football manager nerd as a way to get out of it? Or are you bringing in Red Bull? What's your approach? <laughs> if it's one or the other, I'm going for the nerd every day of the week. I mean, it is a very smart marketing move in theory, isn't it? Because even if things don't go well on the pitch, you have now got people like us, people in a completely different country talking about your fourth tier Icelandic team. And if you've got a, a marketing policy that can then capitalise on that, I think it's it's quite it's quite a shrewd move because you could always relieve him of his duties if it doesn't work out in a few months time. But we will still remember this club. So, yeah, I think it's not a, not a crazy thing to do. Agreed. Well, on the topic of Red Bull, we have two copies of Karan Tejwani's brilliant book, Wings of Change, all about the energy drinks manufacturer's involvement in football to give away to our Patreon community. And on top of that, we also have two signed copies of Paul's book, Up Pompeii, all about his Micronesian adventures, and two copies of the quarterly South American football magazine, Copper Club, to give away to our patrons too. Uh, that might give you a clue about the topics we're going to be talking about on the bonus segment to this podcast, which you can listen to right now on Patreon. We're going to be covering the qualifying rounds of the OFC Champions League and the Copa Libertadores. It's going to be quite a fun chat, isn't it? Because we spend so much time talking about the European qualifying rounds that we haven't really done this for other continents yet. We haven't. And uh, understandably, the OFC Champions League qualification is something I'm very fond of. And yeah, I, I'm very fascinated to learn more about the Copa Libertadores as well, which I don't profess any great knowledge on. But there have been some amazing stories in, in those competitions. So I'm quite excited to get into those. Well, if you want to listen to that bonus segment, win one of our prizes, join our Discord, get our weekly newsletters and our blogs and help us fund the show, simply sign up at patreon.com forward slash sweeperpod. That's it from us now, though. We'll see you for another episode next week. 